Well, welcome everyone to Fringes of the Faith. I'm Paul Henderson, Administrative Pastor here at Capstone Church, located in Fort Worth, Texas, and sitting next to me is, of course, Parky Coburn, our Senior Pastor of Capstone Church. How are you today, Pastor Parky? I'm really well. How are, how are you? I'm doing good. Well, if you're new to this podcast, uh, we are beginning uh, Season 2, and we're actually, we've already done one episode. We did that one the last time. Today, we're going to be doing Episode 2, which we call the Nephilim Code. Mm-hmm. You know yes. who the Nephilim are? Yeah, but why don't you uh, lead us off? Okay. Well, Since bef- you brought the subject up. <laughs> well... Uh, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what, what we discussed last time. Okay, let's and, do and that. And if you remember, we talked about a biblical figure named Enoch. Yes, we did. And we don't really have a lot of information about Mr. Enoch in our Bible, as, as you know, the canonical Bible that we use, but there is some external information that uh, the Ethiopic Christians, that they have mm-hmm. in their Bibles about Enoch, and it's actually called... Uh, the book of Enoch. Yes. And yes. we talked a little bit about that. We spent time discussing when it was written, who wrote it, or who actually didn't write it. And if you remember, First Enoch is divided up into five major sections. Mm-hmm. And we talked about each one of those briefly. But today we're going to focus on a section of the book of Enoch called the Book of the Watchers. Now, who are the Watchers? Well, I suppose it's not someone that's making a watch, but actually the watchers were angels. They, they were angels. And according to Enoch, they were sent to the earth to keep an eye on humanity. Right. But unfortunately, something happened while they were here uh, keeping an eye on us. What happened is they, they, saw, uh, they saw human women. Yes. And they began to lust after them. Yes. And to the point where they decided for themselves that they were going to take as many as they wanted as wives and have sexual relationships with those uh, human women. Yes, according to the book of Enoch, that's what happened. Exactly. And the result of those relationships ended up producing a half-human, half-spirit offspring. Uh, You might say it's a chimera, basically. And those offspring, those chimeras, were known as the Nephilim. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be talking about the Nephilim Code, because that's how the Bible, our Bible in Genesis 6, that's how they are described. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard several different uh, interpretations of the word Nephilim. Um, and I think that most Bible scholars agree that it either means fallen ones mm-hmm. or it means great stature. Right. Most of the time in the, in the Scripture, uh, we see the term giants or great stature used to re- refer to these people and their descendants. Right. And so here's where it gets a little bit problematic if, if, if you're in the camp of thinking that Nephilim means something other than fallen ones or uh, great stature, because... The Bible refers to the Nephilim in Numbers chapter 13, verses 32 through 33, as being people of great size. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it makes the Israelite spies, if you remember the the spies, that made them look like grasshoppers. They were so big. And when you look at the totality of the Nephilim, or Anak, or Rapha, or other references in the Bible with their descriptions, you begin seeing this picture of, like you said, giants. Mm -hmm. Yes. Giants. Yeah, I think that... Uh, 
you know, we talked last time about some of the things that made the book of Enoch, if you want to say suspect, uh, not included in the canon. And there were some pretty uh, fantastic uh, things that had to do with the size of some of these uh, uh, giants, and you do find it kind of unbelievable. But, but the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that there were people of great stature that lived on the earth, uh, from his, to all the way up to the time of David, at least. And so, uh, yeah, uh, we know that those people did exist. We do, and like you said, there are references in different mm-hmm. uh, areas in the Bible mm-hmm. of of these giants, and we'll talk a few about those. But, you know, today, even though the Nephilim, we associate them with the giants, that's not exactly the direction we're going to go in. Right. Uh, we're going to do that in another podcast when we, when we focus specifically on the Nephilim and, and the evidence of the Nephilim being giants. But today, we're going to focus on the purpose and the agenda that the fallen angels could possibly have had for having sex mm-hmm. with human women and producing these Nephilim or these half-human, half-spirit mm-hmm. chimeras. And so to do that, we have to look at the book of Watchers. We have to talk about these Watchers, who they were, and why they would take such a drastic, unnatural, abominatorial action, uh, provoking God to basically throw them out of heaven, throw them into darkness for mm-hmm. millenniums to wait their final judgment, which, of course, we know is the lake of fire yes. at, at the very end. So mm-hmm. who are these watchers? Hmm. Well, when you read First Enoch, they describe the watchers in chapter 6, verse 2, as the sons of heaven, mm-hmm. the sons of heaven. And if you think about the context here, The sons of heaven are the messengers of God in the heavenly realm, the dimension where God's original temple exists, where God exists. He's in the heavenly realms in his dimension, and these sons of heaven are creations of God, Mm -hmm. direct creations of God. And so they they are known in Hebrew as the malachim. Mm -hmm. And in Hebrew, malachim means messenger. Right. But when it gets translated into Latin, that becomes angelos. Mm-hmm. And then when you translate that into English, it is, of course, the word angels, angels. that we use to yeah. describe God's messengers. And so here's something that's interesting about the Bible as it refers to the Malachim or the angels. Uh, it refers to them as the Beneha Elohim. And we, we've seen that before. We, we hear that word, Elohim. What is Elohim? mean? What does that indicate? Well, Elohim, it was a name for God. Yes. But the interesting thing about it is, is we had talked about this at another time, but it's also, it's plural. Mm-hmm. Anything, anytime you see a Hebrew word with an I am at the end, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's plural. It's in the plural form. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the actual translation of Beneha Elohim, it, it means literally sons of God. Sons of God. And since, you know, Elohim is plural, we look at it in, in our belief mm-hmm. system as the true in God, you know, right. the, the, the Trinity. So these watchers, these sons of heaven, the Malachim or the Bene Elohim are spiritual entities whose abode or dwelling is in the heavenly dimension where God exists. They are the sons of God, a.k.a. angels. I just want to make that clear that the watchers we're talking about are spiritual beings. right. Right. These are not men. They're uh, not. They're not flesh and blood. Right. 
they're spiritual beings that we refer to as angels. Okay? Yes. All right. So according to First Enoch, for some um, unknown reason that we're going to theorize about here in a minute, Mm -hmm. but out of 10,000 thousands of these angels, these Malachim, there are 200 of these watchers, these angels that decided to make a pact with one another and to carry out a plan. And their plan is to defile themselves with human women. Mm-hmm. When you read that in the book of Enoch, and it says to take them as wives and to have sex with them, but more than that, what they really wanted to do was have children with these humans. Right. And so I guess the question is, uh, what was the motive for that? And that's what we're looking to answer today. But, but why would they want to do that? Well, we're going to propose a theory okay. that, we're, that we're calling the Nephilim Code. Now, you guys out there remember, uh, we talk about things on this podcast that are fringe elements. Yes. Uh, this exactly. is not scriptural. This is not necessarily doctrine. It's just fascinating to try to think about these things and, and to talk about these things, uh, because sometimes uh, we have these, these revelations that, mm-hmm. that almost puts together the, this, this puzzle. Yes. Now, is it valuable information? Well, it's nothing to do with salvation. Right, right. right. Uh, so I, I wouldn't consider this to be of great value. Yeah, at best it's, I guess you could call it explanatory, possibly, but as Pastor Paul said, I mean, you have to remember that we're, we're talking about a lot of, of things of interest, okay? They're not necessarily what we might call important to salvation right. at all, mm-hmm. but, they're, but they're things of interest, right. you know? And, and so uh, it doesn't hurt to talk about them. It's not blasphemous to talk about them. It's not uh, problematic to to think about these type of things as long as you do realize that when you're when you're looking at things like this, you could be right uh, or you could be a little bit wrong in some areas. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the question is, why would they do this deed? Mm-hmm. Why would these watchers, these these spiritual beings that are in the presence of God, that have access to God, His throne, why would they want to defile themselves? And, and, and just do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so here is a possible explanation. Okay. All right. And we're, we read this out of First Enoch. So their leader, their leader is named Shemihaza. And their leader of this group of 200, he expressed his fear that the other watchers, the other angels, the other 199, would not carry out this plan, and he'd be left holding the bag for this great sin. Okay. Says so, he, that, so he knew. He knew. But there was a problem the, with the plan. He knew there was a problem with the plan. He knew that it was a great sin. Right. The others also knew it was a great sin, right? Yes. They knew this was a great sin. Yes, this they is, discussed it ahead of time. It, this is not something they all of a sudden were tempted with. Right. They didn't see women and automatically just say, oh, well, we've got to have it. Let's, let's go get these women. Right. That's not what they did. They which thought doesn't, about it. Which sounds to me like lust is not the bottom line motive here. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So they thought about this, and they considered the implications. And, and you've got to think about it from their, from their perspective. What would motivate a spiritual being uh, to even consider angering God by committing sexual sin with human women? And so now we're going to ask you, 
I'm going to propose something and get your thoughts on it, Pastor okay, Parky. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask you guys and gals out there to open your minds for a minute. Remember, this isn't scriptural. This is just speculation, but uh, this could bring some light in, into this situation. So what if, I'm saying what if these angels had already angered God? Yeah. I believe they had. Right. Yeah, I, I believe that they had already uh, crossed thresholds with God and had already paid the penalty for that. And they knew. Um, well, they knew they knew several things in regard to that, you know. Uh, but having crossed that threshold, let's say they had already had already angered God and had already crossed a threshold, then I guess the next question that leads us into what we want to know would be: What did they know that made them think about this plan? Right. And you brought something up about them. They, they had already experienced a punishment for mm-hmm. their, their angering of God. But did you know that there, there are different levels of discipline, apparently? Mm-hmm. One level is you're removed from the actual presence of God. Yes. Um, or you're removed from your position. Move from a position. You're removed from your position of authority or whatever position you may hold. You're removed mm-hmm. from that. That's one level. Another level is... You know, what I said, you get removed from the actual presence of God. Yes. Another level may be that you are now in, uh, you are now taken and you're isolated to one particular part of the universe. Yes. So now your, your travel, your freedom of traveling anywhere has been limited. Another level may be you're actually thrown into darkness and prison in this. Damnation, yes. And, and then the ultimate, the last layer would be eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So if they've previously committed this, this, a, a sin before they committed this great sin, um, could this have something to do, taking wives and having children, could it have something to do with attempting to avoid the ultimate level of discipline or the ultimate punishment being judgment uh, for it all? And I say this because when you look at Jude, the book of Jude in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he had kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. So Jude is describing a group of angels that were stripped of their authority. Mm -hmm. Level one. Yes. They were removed from their positions. Then they were banned from their proper dwelling. Right. Which is, you spoke of that as well, removed from heaven. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that the language is interpreted in Jude. It's, It's... they didn't willingly give up their positions to go have sex with women. Mm-hmm. They didn't willingly, uh, you know, remove themselves from the presence of God to go do this. Mm-hmm. It indicates that this had already been done for some reason. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yet? Yeah, it does. And you see that in other part. You see that in parts of the Scripture is what I'm trying to say. I started to say other, and we're talking about some extra biblical things, so I don't want to be confusing. But you see this progression in Scripture itself. You know, uh, you can look in the book of Job and see that here's Satan, and, but he still has access to the throne. Mm-hmm. Right. Lost a position, but still has access. You know, he hasn't lost access to God. And, and then you look in the book of Revelation, which we've been studying here at the church recently, and you see him even losing that access right. in the middle of the tribulation. So, so yeah, uh, definitely uh, something had already happened to, to these guys uh, for them 
to, to try to stop the downward slide. I mean, I think that's the plan. The plan was, okay, we've got to stop ultimately what God is going to do here in dealing with us and with humanity. All right. And, and I think that that is um, what the, the theory that we're mm-hmm. putting out there is. Okay, so if this was secondary, if this sin was secondary in an attempt to stop the judgment or to stop God's plan, then what was the primary? What was the number one? What did they do in order to get to where they're at here to, uh, to um, contemplate angering God? even more, provoking him any more, uh, even more. And so first Enoch reveals the name of the leader of these 200 okay. watchers, and we know that as Shimihaza, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes he's referred to as Simyaza, mm-hmm. Simyaza yes. which means infamous rebellion. Mm-hmm. Okay, He's also referred to by the name of Samael, which mm-hmm. is phonetically close to Samyaza. Mm-hmm. Okay? I want you to think about it. I want you to track with me here. Okay. So when you consider the other archangels' names like Michael, Raphael, mm-hmm. Uriel, what, what we need to look at is the pronunciation aspect of that, because it's not actually Michael. That's an English version. Right. Um, it's actually Machael, mm-hmm. Machael, mm-hmm. and Rachael, when you think of it in the Hebrew uh, sense. And it's that, that L at the end of their names that is, it, it depicts a spiritual, divine-like nature. Now, they're not gods. Right, exactly. But they are of a divine nature. So when you think about the word Elohim, which means divine ones in the plural phase, then you start to understand how um, the archangels are, are associated in name by their description. We talked about the other night yeah. that Michael means who is like God. Who is like God, right. yes. Mm-hmm. And so they're associated that way. And it's the same with Samael, or Samyaza, um, it's the same with him as well. And if Samyaza or Samael was the leader of these 200 fallen angels, shouldn't that be in the Bible? Mm-hmm. You would think, right? Right. If he's the leader, he's an important figure in this story, he should be in the Bible. Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 9. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. They lost their place in heaven. Mm -hmm. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And we've talked about this before when we we did an episode on Lucifer, Mm -hmm. that the word for serpent is actually seraph. It's derived from the word seraph, Mm -hmm. which literally means burning or shining, they are angels who are in the constant presence of God. Yes. They're reflecting or shining God's glory back onto God, and Lucifer was, was one of these seraphs. He was one of them. Yes. Yes, yes. Now, you know, so the play on words, when you really go back and you think in, in, in the Bible, you go all the way back even into the garden, and you think about mm-hmm. the serpent tempting Eve. And uh, while I know it's not the same Hebrew word used in that instance as seraph, but you think about that and you think about the parallels between the two and the similarities in the, in the words and in the names, uh, it is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's take this, this little piece here and try to put this puzzle together a little more. 
So a war breaks out in heaven yeah. between a group of angels and God. The leader of the rebellious angel was Samael or Lucifer or Samyaza or Satan, Shatan, mm-hmm. um, whatever name you want to uh, uh, subscribe to him. And so the archangel Michael with the other angels fought against Samael and prevailed. And Samael was thrown out of heaven along with the other rebellious angels. Why did the war break out to begin with? Why did the war break out? Why was there a war in heaven? So look, here here's what I'm suggesting. Yeah. Okay. If you look in Isaiah chapter 14, yes. verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says that Lucifer wanted to be worshipped by the angels. Mm-hmm. He wanted to elevate his throne above the stars of God. Yes, and he stars did. has always been associated with right. angels. Exactly. So he wanted to be worshipped by the angels and he wanted to be like God. Now he knew he couldn't be God. Right. He wanted to be like God. Right, exactly. Right? So apparently, Lucifer convinced other angels that he was strong enough to do this, so they followed him. Mm-hmm. But we all know he was wrong. Exactly. As a matter of fact, it was Michael and the other angels who fought and won against him, so he wasn't even as strong as Michael. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Okay. So now Lucifer and his dominions were cast out of heaven as a result of this war. Where did they go? Well, it would have been cast out to the earth. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And when you read First Enoch chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And they were, all of them, 200, who descended in the days of Jared onto the peak of Mount Hermon. And they called the mountain Hermon because they swore and bound one another with a curse on it. Hmm. 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 And so when you think about, okay, what were the days of Jared? Well, Jared was the father mm-hmm. of Noah. One, of, I mean, one in the ancestral line, right? He was in the ancestral line, yes. Okay. So Lamech was Noah's father. Then Methuselah would have been his right. grandfather, and then Jared, his great grandfather. Right. So now we're looking at the generations of Noah, mm-hmm. right? When, when, uh, according to First Enoch, these angels were kicked out and they landed on Mount Hermon, and we all know that. That's those of us that have been to Israel. That Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, and when you visit Mount Hermon, uh, you'll notice that there are many ancient ruins of oh, temples man. built to Roman and Greek gods. Oh yeah, it's just a place of all types of pagan worship. Now, do you think that's coincidence? No, not. Uh, I do not think that. Uh, of course, we know from reading the Bible that. Being on a high place, you know, pagans love to get on a high place because they believed, I guess, that that got them heard or closer in proximity to their God or whatever, uh, make them more visible. And Mount Hermon is the tallest in mountain in Israel. And so there's all of these temples to to man, uh, which were built later, but there's temples to all these false gods there. Right. And so according to First Enoch, these watchers landed on Mount Hermon and they observed human women and their children. Now, when you begin to piece mm-hmm. all of this together, you, you must wonder why an angelic being would think a human woman was desirable. I mean, really. Yeah. What about, I mean, you're, you're a spiritual being. You see, you've seen the, the most beautiful sights and visions that we can't even fathom mm-hmm. as humans. What would make you think that a human woman would be desirable, especially knowing, we'll talk about this in a minute, knowing that humans were actually created lower than the angels. 
Yeah, I, you know, we think of desire immediately. We think of that term immediately in a sexual connotation. Mm -hmm. But there, there, there may have been something about them, a position that they had, uh, a relationship that they had, something to that nature that they desired or aspired to. Yeah, and to dominate. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely one of the aspects is to mm -hmm. dominate and mm -hmm. to um, you'd be a ruler over. Uh, also, though, in 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 my opinion, yeah, that it wasn't the women that they really desired. Mm -hmm. um, it could have been the power, uh, the power of control. But I think they were fascinated that these human women could give birth to children. Yeah, and I believe that as they pondered this that an idea was brought forth, and what better way to get revenge on God and the archangels who defeated them and kicked them out of heaven than to, cre than to create children of their own. And it appears, according to the Book of Enoch, the one who had this idea was their chief named Semyaza, i.e., I associate that. It could be an association with Lucifer or mm -hmm. with Satan. Mm -hmm. And so you think, but, but how would creating hybrid children get back at God. I mean, what would be the purpose of doing that? Well, the purpose of getting back with God, at back at him, uh, would be, as you said earlier, because they had already, as you said, been, been under some type of judgment. But then there had also been some type of pronouncement by God uh, that had been made that they wanted to interfere with. They wanted to see the Word of God overturned and the plan of God overturned. Yeah, yeah, and here's where it gets really twisty and turning. Mm -hmm. Here's where the plot yeah. thickens. What if, and I'm saying what if, Yeah. what if Lucifer, being one of the seraphim who is constantly in the presence of God, mm -hmm. what if, and that means he was in the council of God, okay? Yeah. Fine, God has so. a council. Yeah. He, he, Lucifer being in the council of God, what if he heard some plans that God had regarding creation? What if he heard that God intended to create a human race? Yeah, I, I believe that's a, an understudied topic. Uh, you know, I, because I, I do think that he did. I do think that he probably had prior knowledge to all of these things because I believe that God included these angels uh, in some care. As you see, we, Enoch talked about it, mm -hmm. you know, that they were down there. They were sent, these watchers were sent to assist, to watch over, to, to be there with these humans. And so I, I believe that they did know what was going to happen because they were going to play a role in ministry or care to these to, uh, over these humans. Now think about this, and here's where it gets mm -hmm. a little wild. Yeah. What if these angels who were kicked out of heaven, where they were kicked out of their positions, okay? All right, yeah. you're no longer going to occupy this position, but what I'm going to have you do to, to prove a point of humility is I want you to be caretakers of these humans to be watchers of these humans. Mm -hmm. So they were kicked out of their original positions. They were sent down to earth to keep an eye on humans. Mm. What? That's kind of a, it's like getting the, the, the cruddy detail. You know, you get kitchen cleanup or you get trash duty or toilet duty in the <laughs> army. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. all right, all right, guys, here's the deal. Since you did what you did, you rebelled against me and uh, I'm going to, 
I'm going to reassign you. You're going to be reassigned. Well, I think, you know, you know that's an interesting thought. I mean, we can't prove that it's mm-hmm. real, but it's an interesting thought. But I do think there's a kernel in there that, that may be true, very mm-hmm. much true, and that is that uh, they were seeing a side of, of God that they didn't understand, even the angels. I mean, you know, because God wanted to relate to these lower these lower beings mm-hmm. and, and to have them serving these beings that were actually lower in power and beauty and glory than they, they were, uh, could have been quite offensive to them. Yeah. And so what if Satan thought to himself after God revealed his plans of the creation of humanity? It's interesting to think, well, what if Satan thought to himself and he said, well, why does God need to create humans when he has all of us? Yeah. We're divine beings. Mm-hmm. We reflect God's glory. And you know, when, when we talk about why were humans created, we were created to reflect God's glory too. Yes, we were. And so now we're in competition with the angels of reflecting God's glory. And and I say competition like in the perspective of Satan, his perspective. Right. Now I'm competing with these lower lives. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, and to include them, this lower race, in in being brought into a family, familial race, relationship with God. Uh, and okay, let's think of it this way: what what if Satan was privy to the entire process that they were going to fall, that they were going to need to be redeemed? Mm-hmm. You know, he he could l- really look at this and say, "This is this is absolutely ludicrous that we would serve this race that's going to this is going to be their destiny." Not only are they lower than us, but this is going to be their destiny, and it, it could have been very offensive to them. Well, it's especially to Lucifer being in his yeah. position, um, yeah. very offensive, you would think. And if, if you think about our own human nature um, and you think about, all right, so here I am. I'm basically number two in command, mm-hmm. um, and here you are, God. You're about to create this set of beings that uh, everything I've ever seen of you, God, everything I ever know of you, God, this is not in your nature to create something that you know ultimately will rebel against you or mm-hmm. you ultimately will fall. That's not in your nature. And I right. think you're right. I don't think Satan understood God's mm-hmm. complete nature and his character. Yeah, and it's very possible. And once again, guys, we're just talking about possibilities, not certainties. The Bible gives us the certainties that we need to know mm-hmm. for our salvation and our walk with God. Mm-hmm. But it's very possible that he looked at that plan and judged it. Yes. And judged it in his own heart and said, I'm not going to be a part of that. And so when you, when you do that, what is the ultimate root of judgment? <laughs> well, it's pride. <laughs> it is pride. And yeah. that, we know that that was the iniquity that was found mm-hmm. in Satan in the garden. Yeah, and how often, let's just sidestep for just one second, how often do we judge God's ways? ourselves. Ooh, ouch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are his decisions. Yeah, all the time. And what nature are we demonstrating when we do that? <laughs> well, you better move on, brother. Yeah, we're going to move on. <laughs> all right, so uh, what's more with Satan, okay? So, God, why would you create these beings? And then, you know, theoretically or hypothetically, God says, well, not only am I creating these lower beings than all of you, one day they're going to rule over you. Oh, judge you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Oh no, that is not going to happen. It's not flying with Satan. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, if you don't, if you're, uh, 
if you're uh, like you said, an angelic being or like we are who, who distributes characteristics of God, but you're not God. A plan like that when it's conceived and spoken to you is hard to grasp. It is. You're like, I don't, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes God does even things like that with us. And, and we, we, we look back at God and we say, no, no, I don't want to participate in that. You ever told God no? Yes. Have you guys that are out there listening, have you ever told him no? Mm-hmm. Well, I know I have. And so it only makes sense then, if you look at it from that perspective, that Satan not only is judging God for his creation of humans, but he doesn't want anyone other than God to be over him, definitely not humans, since they're not even spiritual, spiritually divine beings. Mm-hmm. They were flesh and blood. And you remember Psalm chapter or Psalm 8, chapter, uh, verse 4 and 6, describes humans as being created a little lower than the angels, right? So we know they were created. Humans are created lower than the angels. And so based on this revelation, Satan becomes enraged. And here again, we're speculating. He becomes angered to the point where he decides he knows better than God. So he attempts to place himself above the angels and be in authority like God. So Mm -hmm. Lucifer would certainly never allow humans to have more honor and glory than himself, much less rule and judge his species. Right. All right. I think we're all caught up then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's. I think once again, we will not know till we get to heaven. But but it's a plausible, it's a plausible idea. And so maybe that was the original uh, sin, the original uh, behavior of Satan and his angel Lucifer and his followers that had them, you know, reassigned to a lower position than what they held. And now we're talking about here they are in their new assignments watching over the humans, and they hatch a plan. Mm-hmm. They hatch a plan out of anger and out of vengeance toward God, okay? All right. So think about it this way, too, part of this plan. So what happens when pride is found in Lucifer? What happens to Lucifer? He well, gets removed. Yeah, he gets removed from his position. Okay. Because he would... Rather rebel against God than allow a low life flesh and human that we call Adam, a blood, a blood man, basically, Adam to rule over him. So he rebels, he loses, and is stripped of his power, his position and authority, and now he's on earth. Mm-hmm. Okay? Here he is, that ancient seraphim or serpent, strolling about the earth when one day he comes across one of these humans, and her name is Eve. Mm-hmm. And she looks pretty gullible. Mm-hmm. And so what does he do? He decides to, that he didn't want to be the only ones. I mean, he already had angels following him, following his rebellion, but now he wants to get others involved. He wants to taint the creation of humans exactly. themselves. And so he tempts them into becoming a part of his plan. Mm-hmm. He's going to, yeah, basically, I, all while he has zero compassion, I believe, for these humans, uh, at, uh, I think he has contempt for them. He is going to, in effect, kidnap God's children from them. Mm-hmm. And so, from him, excuse me. And so it happens. They eat from the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now man has fallen, has, has committed a great sin. And in, according to Lucifer's thinking at this point, I would imagine he would say, well, he's ruined the humans forever now. Mm-hmm. From ever becoming higher than him, forever being able to judge him. Yeah. Um, they are now 
maybe they're not any lower than he is, but at least they're not going to be above him. Right, exactly. And so can't you just imagine for a second, just think about this. Now you've got Satan one day approaching God. We know he could approach God. Yes, we do. The book of Job. He approaches him with a big smirk on his face, thinking that he showed him, right? He said, ha, guess what, God? Mm-hmm. Uh, I one-upped you. Now I've ruined the humans. Right. Ruined them. They're never going to be over us. They're never going to be over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do you think God says here? He says, hmm, yeah. are you sure about that? Yeah. Are you sure about that, Semyaza? Mm-hmm. Are you sure about that you've, you've absolutely ruined any redemption of the humans? Yeah, I think, I, I think things were, okay, here you go. You know, Satan, Satan tempts Eve and Adam in the garden. They make the decision and they fall. Next thing you know, here comes God, okay, he, walking in the, cool of the, in the garden in the cool of the day. So he begins to address what has happened. God does. Well, well, I think God threw a curveball at, at Satan, at Lucifer, that he didn't see coming because God began to speak to uh, Adam and Eve and to Lucifer about their seed, mm-hmm. about their children. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, that awakened something inside of Lucifer, and he thought, I, I've got to do something about this. Yeah. And can't you just imagine the puzzled look on on Satan's face when when God is revealing this future plan? Yeah, it's like, what do you what do you mean? What are you what are you talking about? And so he probably says, Well, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do that, God? How yeah. are you going to do that? And God just says, Well, I guess you're just going to have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. And so now here you go. The thought has been planted into Lucifer. Aha! It's got something to do with the seed of the woman. Seed of the woman. Seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. All right. So what we're talking about is is the possibility that all of this happened before Satan and his followers were banned from the heavenly realm, okay? Mm-hmm. Were actually absolutely banned from it. They still had access. Uh, it, and it sounds plausible that after he rebelled, he lost his position and was able to travel back and forth from Earth to the heavenly dimension. Right. So I suppose that maybe a war broke out between Satan and the archangels, and maybe that's when they were officially banned or they were sent packing, they were demoted in their positions— after this whole Garden of Eden incident, um, here they are landing on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared. Okay? So we're talking about millennial from Adam mm-hmm. to the days of Jared. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about thousands of years. And so here they are. They see human women giving birth to children, and then it clicks. Lucifer, or Semyaza, remembers God's plan. He remembers what he talked about in the garden about the seed of the woman. And he thinks to himself, I can't let this happen. We can't let this happen. And don't think for a minute that Satan's not smart. Yeah. He is intel- he's far more than intelligent than I am. He really is. Mm-hmm. He's been around. Mm-hmm. Way well, He has the experience level on you, for sure. Yeah, he definitely He has the experience does. on you. Right. Without God, he absolutely is like dominant. Mm-hmm. So he was in the presence of God. He stood in the heavenly council. He must have known that God was going to provide redemption yeah. through the seed. Mm-hmm. What is that another word for redemption through the seed? Well, it's for the Messiah. The Messiah. Messiah through flesh and blood. And we know how important blood is. The Bible says blood is the life, and Jews are not allowed to eat anything with the blood still in it. The whole blood sacrifice a process was initiated by God, so blood yeah. is very, very important, okay? So not only does Satan not want humans to rule over him, now 
He wants to destroy them completely. He wants to annihilate them, mm-hmm. but he doesn't possess the power to do that. Right, exactly. He doesn't possess the power to, to kill off the human species. So what's the next logical step in order to prevent humans from ever being redeemed and elevated into that position to be over? Well, one thing that they could do was be what exactly what they what Enoch said that they did, which mm-hmm. is infiltrate the bloodline itself. Exactly. So here we go. Semyaza hatches this plan, and he and his followers in First Enoch describes, you know, the trepidation that Semyaza feels because he knows that this is going to be like mm-hmm. big. It's huge. He he's got trepidation about his followers doing this with him. It says in chapter 6, verse 3, Semyaza said to the other fallen angels, I fear that you will not want to do this deed, and I alone shall be guilty of a great sin. Mm. Now, this is Satan's M.O. Um, he doesn't want to be the only one guilty of rebellion. Mm-hmm. He wants to bring as many people mm-hmm. with him as yeah. he can. Same Satan, same M.O. Mm-hmm. And so when we follow this theoretical train of thought, we can see that the ultimate purpose of having offspring with human women was to corrupt the entire human bloodline, thereby preventing the Messiah from ever being born. Because what's the one thing we know about the Messiah? He, he was unblemished. He, yes, he was unblemished. He had to be a, a son of God himself. So if Satan could infiltrate the bloodline, then you know, at some point in time everything would come from him. It could not be from God. It would just... That's right. You know, he would take over the bloodline. He would prevent the Messiah from ever yeah, coming. Exactly. He would prevent redemption of humans who exactly. he hates. Mm-hmm. He absolutely, utterly hates humans. And he would avoid eternal damnation because, because we all know that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the one mm-hmm. that conquers. Yes. So if he prevents the Lamb of God, he prevents himself from being conquered. Does that make, make sense? Yeah, and, and I think that he he knows that he has frustrated a plan of God because if he was privy to all this before, let's say if he was, and he knew the plan of God and he knew that humanity was going to fall, then he knew that God had in, had come up with a plan to save humanity. Well, if he infiltrates that completely, it's like you said, he frustrates that plan and maybe himself avoids damnation because he knows God doesn't want to damn these humans. And so maybe he, he's able to himself escape his own damnation, as you said, uh, because he knows God does not want to, to, to wipe out this race. Okay. Does that make any sense? It does. It absolutely makes mm-hmm. sense. So let's add one more twist into this. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Noah's flood. Why is it that God would need to destroy all air-breathing creatures? If it was just a matter of a few bad apples, why, why would the whole earth need to be flooded? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're talking about 200 angels or the Nephilim, the offspring, if we're talking about why would, he, why would he have to destroy every air-breathing creature? There must have been something that God was, was doing here. To, to destroy everything, the earth, yeah. in, its, in its completion. Right. Well, tell um, us. What do you think he was doing? Well, I think that God, the possibility that God used a global flood to wipe out all mm-hmm. air-breathing creatures to ensure that the offspring mm-hmm. of the fallen angels would not corrupt the entire bloodline yeah. of the humans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about that, then you think about, well, what was so special about Noah then? Why did he preserve Noah? 
if he was going to wipe out everything and start over, basically, to prevent yeah. the corrupted bloodline, why would he save Noah? What was, what was that? Well, if you're following the line of thinking you're talking about, uh, then, yes, we know from the Bible Noah was a righteous man, mm-hmm. that he that walked with God, he loved God. On the other side of the coin, uh, he must have been somebody whose bloodline was uncorrupted by the, uh, by the demonic uh, in, infusion. Okay, and so here's how we come to this conclusion, and, that, and that's why I, I believe that this Nephilim code um, is plausible because of that fact right there. Noah was perfect in his generation, so let's break that down. So let's look at Genesis 6, verse 8 and 9. It tells us why God saved Noah. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So when you look at the original Hebrew language that's used here, it, it, basically it says Noah found grace. In Hebrew, the word is shana or chana, mm-hmm. and it means favor. Why was Noah favored? Because he walked with God, he believed in God, and he was obedient. He went from being a believer mm-hmm. in God to being a follower because yes. God tells him, do something really crazy mm-hmm. that no one has ever done before, uh, build a ship. So... Then we talk about the genealogy. Hebrew word for genealogy is toledah, which means family of a specific bloodline. Noah was a just man. In Hebrew, the word tzaddik is used to describe that as being just, and this word has two meanings, and they're very interesting. The first meaning of tzaddik is to be lawful or righteous, and that's the meaning that most scholars have taken it to mean, talking about Noah. Um, The second meaning, though, Listen to this. The second meaning is to be right in a moral or forensic sense. So what does forensic mean? Forensic is the connotation of using science or scientific tests to detect a crime or a corruptible act. Mm -hmm. In the sense that it's used in the phrase, Noah was a just man, we can apply the forensic meaning of the word just as easy as we can apply the other meaning of righteous. And we can say Noah was a Sadiq Adam, or human. Um, Noah was a forensically clean human. All right, we're getting to the bloodline part, all right? And it's pretty crazy if you think about it, that if you look at the meaning of Sadiq that way, then it looks like, okay, so we're not talking about Noah being a righteous man. He yeah. was, mm-hmm. but there's a deeper layer there, Um and when you look at the very next statement, it says he's perfect in all his generations. Now, mm-hmm. watch this. We know that there's never been a perfect human being mm-hmm. except for Jesus. Right. Okay? So the Hebrew word you're used for perfect in this phrase is the word tamayin. And the word tamayin means without blemish or defects. Mm-hmm. This word tamayin is used in the Bible to describe the sacrificial animals, the right. lambs. Mm-hmm. They had to be unblemished. has nothing to do with behavior. Yeah. It has to do with the physical mm. appearance, the mm-hmm. physical, um, biological aspects. Mm-hmm. And so what you see developing here is, is Noah was tamayin. He was without physical defects in all his generations. And don't you think that's... Why would you throw that in there in all his generations? Well, it could... If you threw that in there, following the line of thinking you're talking about, then it could mean that his bloodline, his entire bloodline going back, was uncorrupt, was 
not corrupt. All right. And so the Hebrew, you, the word, the Hebrew word used here when it says in all his generations is a different word than they used before describing, you know, generations. They use the word door, and door literally means body and bloodline. So let's put it all together mm-hmm. using the Hebrew language yeah. and see what develops, okay? Mm-hmm. But Noah found grace, shana, which means favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy, the tolida, or the family bloodline of Noah. Noah was a just, a sadiq, which means forensically clean man, perfect, mm-hmm. tamaim, which means without physical defects in his generations, dor, which means body and bloodline. So when you think about it and you want to put it back into layman's terms after we've deconstructed it using the Hebrew language, now it says this, Noah was favored because he walked with God. This is the bloodline of Noah. Noah was a forensically clean human. He was without physical defects in his body and bloodline. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just thinking along with you. Okay. So what this could be pointing to is that Noah's bloodline had not yet been corrupted by the fallen angels or the watchers. Yep. Or or their half-human, half-spirit Nephilim. And because Noah's bloodline was kept intact, the Messiah, who was also Tamayin, or Mm -hmm. perfect without blemish, could be born. Right. Mm Mm-hmm come forth from that bloodline. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it looks like this. And again, this is speculation. This is, this is fun to talk about. Only fun, guys. All right. So at the end of the day. We're not saying it's doctrine at all. This is just for fun. Lucifer, i.e. Semyaza, i.e. Satan, sought to corrupt the bloodline of humans in order to prevent the Messiah, Jesus, from coming into the world to redeem all of humankind. In doing so, Satan would have also prevented his final demise, Mm -hmm. since it is Jesus who would one day defeat him and cast him into the burning lake of fire. But that didn't happen. So once again, God proves he's smarter, he's greater, he's mightier than any, any adversary. Right, exactly. You know, I guess I know as we finish this up, I, I, I was sitting here thinking about this earlier when you were talking, you know, if... If Satan knew the plan ahead of time, Lucifer in heaven, when he before the fall, before his fall, if he knew the plan before time in heaven, then he knew uh, that God was going to send a redeemer in into the earth. And little did he know. So this is so interesting to me that he that God knew ahead of time he would play a role. He would play a role. In, in this whole story. I don't think Lucifer had any idea he would. No, I don't think he did either. I, I really don't. But, but God knew mm-hmm. that he would play a role in it. And so it, it just shows you the wisdom, the wisdom of God and how beyond uh, his ways are so, as the Bible says, so beyond finding out. And as Pastor Paul said, we're not saying that this is what happened. You know, we're, we're talking about a lot of things that are talked about in the body of Christ right now, and we're just, mm-hmm. we're just sharing some things. But uh, regardless of how everything played out, brothers and sisters, the Bible is correct. I mean, that's the truth. And regardless of what I was trying to say is how that played out uh, completely, you know, and we've been talking about some potential ways that that played out. 
Regardless of that, God in his infinite wisdom is all could see the end from the beginning mm-hmm. and planned for that end and planned to interject and even used free will moral agents knowing what decisions they would make ahead of time to bring that plan to pass. It, it's just an amazing thought. It's fascinating. It really, mm-hmm. really, really is to think uh, of, I mean, how could you not believe in intelligent design? Oh, God, yes. When it comes to how all this has come about, how we exist, if this was chaos, we've talked about it before, if this was nothing more than random uh, evolutionary chaos, then I would have, you know, I'd have three arms, you might have two or There'd be no order to it. Order order is something that that comes from intelligence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, You can create something without order. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But to create something with order requires some form of intelligent design. And so um, just kind of as a closing, it's good to be reminded of God's power and of his wisdom and, and of his intelligence. So when he says that we are more than conquerors, yes, more than conquerors, we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. We can rely on the fact that, that all throughout the history of the human race, all throughout the history of this universe as we know it, God has a plan. And even though we don't know what the plan is, and even though we don't know, we could be unwitting participants in his purposes and his mm-hmm. plans. Yeah. Just like Satan was an unwitting. I mean, can you? I just can't imagine him just being so frustrated at learning. Uh, you know, when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of man, yeah. you know, at, at some thought, he must have had the thought, well, it looks like I won. And then, wait a second, who just showed up? taking the keys of Hades and the deed of the earth from me. And at that point, it's like, now we've become more than conquerors. The Bible says someday every knee will bow. And that includes the the knee of Satan. That's right. One of these days, he is going to look at this entire plan, and he's going to say, my God, in my own free will, in my own desire, my own judgments, my own wants, you factored those in all along. You knew exactly what I was going to do before I did it. And it turned out exactly like you said it was going to turn out in spite of my interference. Therefore, you are the greater one. Uh, Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it for now. Uh, But I do want to leave this discussion with a question since we were talking about the Nephilim, okay? If the Nephilim were wiped out during the flood... Mm -hmm. How did they show back up after the flood? Super question. Hmm. Stowaways. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that they did because Goliath was a descendant of Anak. Super question. Uh, King Og of Bashan was also a descendant of Anak. Mm-hmm. So how is this possible? I'll tell you what. Email us your theory, and we might just use it here at the table of Fringe. Well, Pastor Parkey, thank you so much. I know thank this was you, a long Pastor one. Paul. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It is interesting. Um, and for those of you that are listening or watching, send us an email if you have any comments or, or suggestions for future topics. And you can find us at info at capstone.church. Okay? Well, we love you guys. And just remember, until next time, stay in the Word, stay alert, and be not 
deceive. God bless you. God bless you.